Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. We are in the middle of a series on spiritual disciplines that this is like fun for the vineyard. This series goes all the way back to November. We did spiritual disciplines, those practices which position us to receive and live in the grace of God in a deeper and deeper way. And in November, we did uh, uh, one set of spiritual practices that were kind of inward. And then we took some time off for Advent because after all, it was Christmas. And uh, then uh, here in January, we've been doing outward disciplines. In in other words, uh, how we interact with the world around us. And then next month, uh, we'll be doing uh, community disciplines. And uh, two weeks ago, we heard from Jeremy Charlo. And uh, didn't Jeremy do a good job in... He did. He did. He did so well that I think we really needed to revisit his picture. um, Because, Jeremy, things live forever on the interwebs. There you go. Um, But honestly, okay, that, that thank you, Allison. Uh, listen, it was, a, it was a really good message, and if you haven't heard it, I would recommend that you listen on our audio archive. And then um, uh, Pastor Adam asked me to speak this week, and I was telling my family about the fact that I was going to speak, and uh, my teenager said, well, what, you know, what's the topic you're going to speak about? And I said, it was submission. And my 16-year-old said, you better find another name for that, because nobody likes to submit. <laughs> Um, so I got out the thesaurus and, you know, all that. The problem is, is that there is no better name for this for only one reason, and that is that this is a time-honored and scripturally-based uh, spiritual practice, spiritual discipline. And uh, as much as we would want maybe to, like, skip over this one, after all, by golly, Most of us in the room are North American-born, raised in this uh, consumerist culture uh, in which we are the center of that culture. Uh, But we have have something to listen to, both from the scriptures, which are divinely inspired, and from the rest of the church. Are you ready for this? Over 2,000 years. Do you know that other people have followed Jesus who don't look like us? who don't speak our language, who lived in other places and lived in other centuries. You know, the, you know the, following Jesus is not a central Kentucky 21st century phenomenon. Uh, all over the world, people have uh, dedicated their lives and they, they're, they're following Jesus. So um, this week, we're dealing with uh, submission And uh, to my uh, daughter's dismay, we're not going to find another word. But it's also true that nobody likes to submit. You, you, get in line. Football coach. You, get in line, right? Um, So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about submission. And uh, the the, uh, key passage, which Pastor Adam uh, led us in in uh, kind of a call and response or, or a corporate reading, uh, is the passage from um, uh, Hebrews. But here's our plan. Uh, our plan is we're going to do a three-minute exegesis of uh, Hebrews 
uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to talk, after we've looked at the scriptures, at four different areas. Uh, submitting to God, submitting to others, uh, submission in various settings, and then the good news of submission. What? Yeah, is that like an oxymoron? Is that like military intelligence or jumbo shrimp? The good news of, of submission? Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll find out. You like that, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know what an oxymoron actually is? It's someone who believes those commercials about acne. That's an oxymoron. Never mind. Bada bing. I tell you, I got a million of them. I got a million of them. Stick to the script. The pastor just told me to stick to the text. I guess I'd better. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and look at Hebrews 12, um, verses uh, 1 through 9. Oh, and this will be fun because that page uh, of my notes I left in the office. So we'll just do it like this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, oh, wait, it's in bold, that helps me. A huge crowd of witnesses. Can Can I just share this much with you? that following Jesus, that the faith that we've been invited into is not solitary, it is community. There is a huge crowd of witnesses. Look around, look to your left, to your right. Together we are the witnesses of the truth and the beauty of the gospel. Not only us, but think about loved ones that you've lost who were believers in Jesus. Parents who have gone on to be with the Lord uh, or, or anybody that you've been close to. They too are part of this great cloud of witnesses. This is something we've got to get rock solid within us. And it's this, we do not encounter this faith by ourselves. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. There is our part to do. And it is to just shed, to get rid of, Uh, whatever would slow us down. Are we willing, am I willing, to literally strip off anything that would keep me from following Jesus? And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Pastor Adam has said this multiple times. Uh, We are called to a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm glad. I'm glad of that. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated at the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he, Jesus, endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. Do you know the best way to persevere in the faith is to consider Jesus to consider what he's done. And this is the testimony of the scripture is that it will help us not to become weary or give up. And then just to make you feel really good. Yeah, well, after all, you haven't given your lives yet in the struggle against sin. Uh, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? And I put encouraging words in bold for this reason. Um, Because the next words don't sound so encouraging to our very modern ears. And yet, they are encouragement. These are the encouraging words. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes 
Each one he accepts as a child. Do you know how many versions, translations of the scripture I tried to find that would avoid the word punishes? <laughs> I just kept, you know, one of those Bible, you know, websites. There's got to be something better there. But the words that are key are discipline, correction, discipline, and punishment. And, you know, we think of like, you know, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. You know, the punishment, the punishment, the punishment. And we have been taught to associate punishment with rejection, disapproval, and an outright just being pushed away. And yet the scripture says these are words of encouragement for us. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? Now, now we've all seen this. All you have to do is go to Walmart and look at the little hellions running around in the aisles and you go, where is that child's parent, right? Um, uh, so, uh, so you got that. Uh, but it, uh, uh, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate. What a polite word. I could use some other words. It means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. So the interaction of God in our lives is actually proof of how much he cares about us, right? Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, and I realize some of us had really crappy parents, okay? We'll get to that. But since... We respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us. Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of Spirits and live forever? Another translation had, and really live or live to the full. But notice the underlined part, and this is the end of the exegesis. Help me, Jesus. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we submit? Do you notice that after this long exhortation that the author of Hebrews does not say, Therefore, I'm telling you, you'd better submit. No, it's an invitation. Do you see it? Shouldn't we submit? Now, look at how gently submission is, is entered into our thoughts and into our minds after this, this long passage of text. It is not thundered from Sinai with, with lightning and thunder and you know, all of the, you know, the rigmarole that we would expect with, you know, the God thing, it's actually an invitation. And indeed, all of the disciplines are invitations. So notice how gently the, the topic is there. It's not avoided, but it's given to us as an, an invitation. Shouldn't we submit to the Father of, of spirits and live forever? So there we go. I don't know if that was three minutes or not, but I tried to go fast. So I want to talk now about three areas, submission to God, submission to others, and submission uh, in various settings. Um, the foundation for everything we do is submission to God, submission to God. If we get this wrong, it's a little bit like buttoning your shirt. If you get the top button wrong, it doesn't matter how careful you are buttoning your shirt, it's still going to look you know, funky when you get down to the bottom. If, if we... If we fail to understand submission to God, then we won't understand any of the spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice of submission. So um, uh, 21st century, 20th century uh, American Christianity is presented to us classically as a sin-cleansing bargain. 
I have a sin problem. God has a sin solution. Hey, the solution is free. Wouldn't you like it? Now, all of that is true. I do have a sin problem. God does have a sin solution. It is the free gift of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so nothing that I said there was incorrect, but the biblical language is actually that he has redeemed us by his blood. He's purchased us. When I came to Jesus, maybe when you decided to become a follower of Jesus, did you know that the real transaction that was going on was not that I was accepting God's deal, but that actually he was purchasing me at the greatest cost in human history. Now, if I focus on the cost, the blood of Jesus, our hearts are moved and we go, what a wonderful sacrifice. But what if I focus on he purchased us? He owns us. Lock, stock, and barrel. I don't, is that a, is that a gun reference? Okay. The whole thing, the whole, the whole gun. I don't, I shot a gun once. I don't know. Okay. He, he owns us. Now, I actually sat in a meeting where a business owner one time said to, to the employees, after you clock in, I own you. The only words I want to hear are, yes, sir. Now, what do you think the morale was in that place? Yeah, right? It's about that I'm going to start looking for another job, okay? Uh, but this is different. At great cost, God himself has purchased us, but purchased nonetheless. So what that means, well, what kind of people are the people who get purchased? Slaves. We're slaves. We, purchased by God, are slaves. Now, here's the amazing thing, is we do get to choose our master. I know the, the analogy kind of breaks down. He just purchased us, right? But in the everyday outworking of our lives, we get to choose our masters. And really, there are only three choices. We may think there are other choices, but there are only three choices. Our masters are either God, the devil, or ourselves. These are the only three masters actually in operation in our lives. God, the devil, or ourselves, okay? Um, so here's God. He's purchased us. Uh, submission is replete throughout the New Testament text, but a key question for not only this slide, but for the entire time that we're together is, ask yourself in your life, how much does God enforce submission. He bought us. Now, how much does he come along and say, ah, ah, back in line, you, ah, slap. I won't slap your child, I promise. <laughs> slap, right? Think about your life, the choices that you've made, the avenues that you have traveled, the, the things you and I have done, and then think about how much does God step in and enforce his reign and his rule? And I'd like to suggest, if I can, that God is remarkably laissez-faire about this. He offers us submission, but how much does God enforce? I, I've never had a thunderbolt come and hit me after I blasphemed. And can I tell you, I have blasphemed. I mean, I, I know that, that sounds silly, but I've done it. And that's like a, a serious offense against God. And I'm still here. In fact, I'm preaching. <laughs> Great, you know, nice. Right? Um, I have, I have lied, I have cheated, 
I have stolen. I have, we'll just go, go to the Ten Commandments and, you know, other than the adultery one, I think, hi, sweetie. Uh, <laughs> other than the adultery one, I, I, I think I actually have probably violated nine out of the ten. But in my life or in your life, how much has God sent the cops after you? In the, I mean, the heavenly cops, right? Now, that's key. That's not just key for this slide. That's key for our entire time that we talk about the spiritual discipline of submission. God offers us submission, but think about, does he enforce it? How does he enforce it? And I'd like to suggest that enforcement as we understand it, that's not how God does it, okay? It turns out that God is the bestest, the greatest, the mostest, lovingest, every superlative that you can think that's who God is. Because the problem with submission is the guy I've got to submit to, like the boss I just told you about. The problem with submission is, does the other person have my best interests at heart? I don't know. Is that person wise enough to manage my life? I don't know. Is that person powerful enough to affect protection and change in my life? Well, I don't know. Right? You, you understand? I, the problem with submission is the person that we are called to submit to. And that's why submission to God is the beginning of understanding this, because he really is the goodest, the bestest, the most perfectest, the most lovingest. He is perfect of knowledge, perfect of power, perfect of intention, perfect of love. The, the real question would be, if you could find somebody like that, why wouldn't you come under that kind of guidance. And yet, he holds his hand back and he just does it this way. Come on, come on, come on. Does that make sense? Okay. The problem with submission is that I'm not in control. And I'm not sure that I know God well enough to trust that he is the perfectest, the bestest, and you know, all of that. The beginning of submission is to have a clear picture of the Father. Do you know the most oft-repeated phrase in the Old Testament? You know, that's the book with the lightning bolts and the thunder. It's, he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. As Pastor Adam says, it's the mantra of the Old Testament. It is the phrase most repeated in the Old Testament. He's good and his love endures forever. Well, that's the kind of person that I would want to submit to, okay? Now, Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan is wise. He knows, <laughs> all right? Don't you know you're going to serve somebody? So uh, these are the three choices that, that really the scripture says we have. We can serve God. We can serve the adversary, the father of lies, the one who hates the creation God has made, or we can serve ourselves. The default position in humanity is we serve ourselves. That's the default position. That's how we're hardwired. Okay? All right. So submission to God is the foundation stone for understanding submission as a spiritual discipline. What about, though, submission to others? What about submission to others? Now, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. 
we live our life in community, even the loneliest person, the most isolated person. The truth is, is that community is our natural home. Uh, no man is an island, said the poet John Donne. No man uh, is totally disconnected from society. No man or no, no woman. We live our lives in community. And here's the amazing thing about community is that for community to be a flourishing thing, it needs submission. It's like, you know, how many vital organs do we have? You know, I can't live without my heart pumping the blood. I can't live without my lungs doing the air. I can't live without my skin being the barrier between me and the outside world. I can't live without my brain. Well, maybe I've done that. Um, uh, but, you know, there's so many different vital organs. And the truth is, is that flourishing community requires submission, but not the way we think. Because I realize, even still, the resistance here, like, well, when's, when's the hammer going to drop? When's he going to get to it, right? But let me just give you an idea that community requires submission. A loving young couple gets married. At some point, they have a baby. And when they bring the baby home from the hospital, they say, little Gertrude, welcome to our home. We go to bed at 10. We wake up at 7. We eat three meals a day, and Gertrude says, thank you for telling me that. I'll be happy to comply. <laughs> Is that what three-day-old Gertrude says to the parents? In fact, what happens is, is that the parents submit their lives for the next number of days, weeks, months, or years to a child of great need and zero understanding. So who submits in the family life when you bring a baby home? Who submits initially? The father, the mother, I should say the mother first. The mother submits her life, her schedule. If she's breastfeeding, her very body. I mean, everything is submitted to the needs of the child. And from day one, an amazing transition happens. And that is that first the parents submit to the needs of the child, and then as the child grows, we, the parents, teach the child that he or she is not the center of the universe and that the child's needs must submit to the greater need of the family. Can you see how both dynamics have to work? Both dynamics. Parents do submit to the needs of the child. Listen, I'd be going to Vegas every weekend if I didn't have three kids. <laughs> they are keeping me down, right? Kim and I could have lived in a one-bedroom apartment. We could have gone to Vegas whenever we want. We could have gone to Chuck E. Cheese's whenever we want. <laughs> the problem is, is that our kids, what? They want food. They want clothing. And so uh, it's not just little baby Gertrude that causes us to submit our lives. But the truth is, is that when, you know, little bundle of joy comes home, in a very real way for the next 20 years... Our life is a life of submission to the needs of the child. And by the way, I have children 32 and another one about to turn 30 uh, in like two weeks. The truth is, is that you never really get off of that train, right? Now, I mean, and both of my older children are remarkably responsible with good, healthy families and they're, they're parents that I am proud of. But the truth is, is that I still factor in 
the needs of my adult children, as well as the teenager we still have at home, I still factor in the needs of my adult children in the decisions we make. Otherwise, I'd be living in New Zealand right now. <laughs> right? They shot Lord of the Rings there. Everybody's nice to everyone. It's like heaven on earth. And the problem is, is that I would cut myself up off from the most basic community that we, we have. So when I win the lottery, I'm taking the whole family with me. See ya, vineyard, right? Okay. All right, so the first point about submission is that life in community requires submission as a vital organ to be able to thrive, right? And we actually submit more than we are aware of. Not the submission of the blue lights flashing behind us in the rearview mirror. Not the submission uh, that um, the uh, IRS can actually dip into your checking account and take the taxes that you owe. Why don't you ask me how I know that? <laughs> yeah? 1991, right? I know these things. It, it's not the, the submission because of coercion. It is the submission that causes life to flourish in our most treasured relationships. Here's a question. Here's a question. What are our most treasured relationships? Because if we think about that, we will see that we naturally and joyfully submit in those relationships because they are so dear to us. Now, if my most treasured relationship is me, I submit to whatever I want. That's also true. What are our most treasured relationships? And I will naturally and joyfully submit in where my most treasured relationships are. Okay? Um, the part of submission that we want to resist is the idea that we think of submission as a hierarchy. All you have to do, they're, that they're interwebs. And by the way, avoid the word submission on Google because you don't know where that'll take you, right? But if you do biblical submission, then you can do the, uh, the, you know, the searches there. But you end, you, end up with, you end up with like organization charts in the body of Christ, right? Here's the pastor, here's the father, here's the parent, here's the child, here's the slave, right? Look, so biblical submission is not a hierarchy, it is a matter of heart. Biblical submission is not a matter of hierarchy. And let me just give you one suggestion, and I have their permission to tell this. I'm not going to use their names, but I still have their permission. A young couple that, uh, that I know pretty well got married, uh, beautiful wedding, go off on a honeymoon. Honeymoons are dreamy, and they went to a dreamy place. Day two of their honeymoon, they step out of the hotel one morning because they're going to go to this location. And the husband turns right, and the wife kind of stands there and goes, um, honey, I, I think it's that way. And he says, no, it's this way. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it when we were coming in. You like these voices I'm doing, right? You know? And he says, no, 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 come on, with me. And she goes, well, I, I saw it. And he says, married two days, I am the head of this family. He said it. We are going this way. And so she went, oh, okay. And so off they went this way and got hopelessly lost in a strange city. <laughs> right? We're laughing. Why? 
it's not me. <laughs> oh, is that why we were laughing? Oh, wait, wait, my wife says it is me. <laughs> well, this particular example is... Uh, never, ever, ever talk like that. So, uh, I'm not going to... Okay, so it's not me, okay? Oh, Jesus, help me. Biblical submission is not a matter of an org chart, okay? It's a matter of the heart. And notice that in the heart example that I just gave, whose heart was out of whack? Honey, I think it's this way. I am the head of this family. Whose heart is out of whack there? Biblical submission is a matter of heart. Almost always first for the person that is in the supposed power position. So I'm dropping in examples. The boss who says, when you clock in, I own you. The two-day married guy who says, I am the head of this household, right? I told my wife that, who was the boss, and I didn't see her for a week. And then after a week, I could see her a little bit out of one eye. There you go, there's more stick, right? And that's not true, but I'll tell you this. That's not true, but I, but I married her because she's a strong woman, and I'm forever grateful for that, right? You know, what the, what the young married wife needed to learn was that real submission is to know sometimes when to fully communicate, and then as a matter of heart, you don't just crumple, you, you give all of yourself. And what the, the husband, young husband needed to learn was you don't pull rank based on an org chart, right? Okay? Now, here's the truth, is that the, the New Testament, they, they're called household codes. Maybe you can point to them in the various letters that are written that says things like, you know, let the wife submit to the husband and the children should obey the parents and the slaves should obey the masters. You know those, those passages and we read them with our 21st century American eyes and we go, wow, this is like really screwed up, right? Well, it's still the word of God, but... What I, what I ended up counseling that, that young couple was is, look, I don't care what some book says submission in marriage is, but you guys should, you guys should be able to communicate with each other to where you agree as to what biblical submission is. The, the question of agreement was more important than the question of some structure. Now, let me just very quickly, and this is nerd alert, going to do a little bit of sociological work. I promise it'll do it in 90 seconds. Okay? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. By the way, husband, parent, and master was all the same person. Who was it? The man, the head of the biblical household. When these biblical codes were written, the commands of submit to your, your husband, obey your parents, and obey your masters... They said nothing new about the social structure of the day. Nothing new. But do you know what was amazing? Now keep in mind that it's the same person. All right? The male head of the household. Keep in mind that it's the same person. Husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for her and love her as Christ loved the church. In that day and in our day, that is startlingly new. So who had the higher requirement uh, for the heart? You understand? 
In other words, one just took the normal social code and said, yeah, you should probably do that. But then husbands, love your wives, give yourself up for her as Christ gave, gave himself up for the church. That was entirely new. The male heads of household had never been talked to like that. What? Right? Okay. Fathers, and it says fathers, don't exasperate your children. Fathers would go, what? They're my kids. I'll do them whatever blankety blank I want with them except that the Spirit of God was telling the person in authority, don't exasperate those for whom you are responsible. That was new. Okay? Slaves, obey your masters, right? How about masters, treat your slaves with respect, knowing that you too, slave owner, have a master in heaven. What? Those household codes that you read in the New Testament may not actually have anything to do with hierarchy and may have everything to do with adjusting the heart and the attitude of the people who had the authority. Okay, I got serious, but I need to get serious so much that I would repeat itself, repeat myself. It could be that the biblical household codes we're all about recalibrating what it meant to be in charge. Love sacrificially. Don't exasperate others. And you better realize you're a slave and you better realize you too have a master. The three that, that the Southern Evangelical 21st Century Church, the three things that the church centers on is, well, this is the divine order in the home. It better work like this, this, and this. Nothing new there, even socially. What was radically new was those who are in charge had better rethink what it means to be in charge. So I ask again, how often does God enforce his sovereignty in your life? You tell a lie or you shoplift, how often does God come after you personally, physically drag you in front of the authorities? And the answer is, is that he's remarkably laissez-faire. Does this make sense? So I had to address those scriptures. The heaviness quotient in the room just went through the roof. Okay? Yeah, I can read a room. Submission, biblical submission is not about hierarchy. It's about heart. Now imagine that the judge says... Um, 200 hours of community service. And I say to the judge, yes, your honor. Okay. Now the judge has got all of the uh, enforcement power of, you know, the constabulary behind him. Right. So I go to do my 200 hours of community service, but I'm a complete jerk. There are other words I could use while doing the community service. But I logged my 200 hours, I showed up, I did whatever I was supposed to do, but I was an insufferable person <laughs> while I was doing that. You know, in the business world, they have a, a phrase for that, it's called malicious compliance. I complied and I did so maliciously. Now, that may get me out of trouble with the judge, but my heart hasn't been changed one bit. Does that make sense? Malicious compliance is not submission. And submission had better be understood by those who sit in the power position to realize it's, it's not hierarchy, but heart. Okay? All right. 
Um, let's see. Submission's not about hierarchy. Submission in various settings. The last point. I'm trying to go fast. Okay? Submission in various settings. Okay? Here's what I want to emphasize. Submission is always given. Submission is never taken. Submission is always given, and submission is never taken. Now, I, I spent a few years as a pastor. There were times where I had uh, women, wives, in my office or in my home who had suffered, let's just call it out, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse of all different kinds. And my wife reminded me of this as we were preparing. And the, 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 the line that we delivered consistently throughout the years was, you may be called to submit to your husband, but you are not called to submit to the demons inside of your husband. Now, let me say this as clearly as I can. If, if someone has quoted Bible to you and told you to stay in a harmful and hurtful relationship, physically, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, in any of those areas, I'm telling you, get out. Okay? And get out would at least be find safe space and distance, Come and speak to any, come speak to me, I'm not on staff, but come and speak to anyone on staff. If you need help, there's help. I have a friend who lives in another city. She gets married. She finds out that the guy she marries is actually a meth addict, and he becomes abusive in every way I just mentioned. Goes to her family, and her family says, well, God hates divorce. She tried for five years to live with that dude. And then finally, without the support of family, without the support of church, without the support of anything that was a part of her world, she took her two kids over five years, uh, two kids and left and rebuilt a new life in a new city. Now, I believe that's the will of God. I think that was the will of God for the children. I think that was the will of God for her life. And anybody that quotes just one Bible verse and doesn't understand that submission begins as a matter of the heart and that it begins with God, the goodest, safest, bestest, most lovingest, then, then we have we've shrunk the inspired word of God absolutely down to some sort of bumper sticker. Well, God hates divorce. Yeah, really? Okay, all right. There we go. So what about, what about the dangers of submission? I've just talked about them. Submission that's out of whack. Submission that is short-sighted. Do you, do you think that God is surprised when uh, the people in power positions act like jerks? Do you think God went, oh, I can't believe he did that? No, God is not surprised by that. Uh, now, here is the, the most difficult thing I'm going to say today. Not about physical, physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual abuse. This is the most difficult thing I'm going to say today. The Heavenly Father knows the human heart and the human tendency and still invites us into a life of submission. He knows what the risks are, but apparently he thinks it's worth the risk. Submission is a high risk enterprise between me and God. It requires that I see God for who he really is 
and that I realize my first submission is always to God, always to God, and that my second submission is the matter of heart. But at the same time, the ancients for two millennia have said submission is a spiritual discipline. So here we go. What's the good news in all of this message? Because Ray, you are bumming me out. Okay, what's the good news in all of that? The good news is, and I'm going to quote here from uh, Richard Foster. um, The good news is, is that submission gives us the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. I want you to think that through. If there's only three that you submit to, as Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody, God, the devil, or yourself, submission is a discipline that helps teach us how to become free of the terrible burden to always get our own way. Now that's something that we can walk out day by day. I expect to get my own way. Um, Dallas Willard, uh, a a brilliant uh, uh, spiritual formation guy, one time was teaching class PhD, philosophy, uh, uh, USC, Um, and he had a teaching assistant that had been with him for years, and some undergraduate student said something really stupid. Not that undergraduates ever do that, okay? And Dallas Willard said, you know what? That's a good point to end on, and I would like you all to think about that. So class dismissed. And the teaching assistant comes up to him and says, hey, Dallas, I know that you had an answer for that person. And Dallas Willard said, this week I'm practicing the discipline of not needing to get in the last word. He knew better, he was smarter, he was right, they were wrong, and he was practicing the discipline of not needing to get in the last word. Do you know there's a powerful urge that drives us to want to get our own way? And it shows up in a thousand ways daily, small and small. Right? Small and small. All day long, you, you want an assignment? Ask the Lord Jesus today, when you wake up tomorrow, would you show me how many times I expect, demand, or I'm offended when I don't get my own way? And then you will find out that in submission, this is Foster again, we're free to drop the matter, to forget it. Frankly, most things in life are not nearly as important as we think they are. Frankly, most things in life are not nearly as important as we think they are. And when we think they are important, what we're doing is we're feeding the monster called self. Wow. I can can buzzkill a room so well, right? Okay. Consider the cross. Jesus, Lord of all, the name above every name, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, embraced the cross. He took a symbol of coercion and turned it into a symbol of hope. The discipline of submission in our lives, in those thousand small choices every day, the discipline of submission in our lives is, is how submission is subversive to the power structures deep inside of me and for our own society. Dr. King, we just had the, the Martin Luther King Day. He, what did he say? 
He said, we're going to boycott buses. We're, we're going to protest. And if they arrest us, you know what we're going to do? We're going to willingly go to jail. Submission subverted the power structure of his day. So did Nelson Mandela, who started out as someone who actively fought against the, uh, the apartheid regime in South Africa. But Mandela said finally, no, we're, we are going to protest because that's what the person in the non-power position does when they submit. They give full voice to who they are. And then I'm going to live within the consequences. I'm going to live within the consequences because submission subverts the power structure that is ungodly. Now that takes, may I say, great faith. But the good news of submission is that discipline, any discipline leads to freedom. Submission can become a way of life because it's a way of the heart. And submission subverts force, okay? These are invitations, just like verse nine, chapter 12 in Hebrews And that is when we see God for who he is and when we see that we are part of a community, a great cloud of witnesses, here's the invitation. Shouldn't we submit? Shouldn't we submit? So my suggestion as the ministry team comes forward, my suggestion is this. Um, So if you're on the ministry team, you can come forward. Um, My suggestion is this is that if you would like to practice this discipline, it's like a doctor who's in practice. We never fully get it right. Wake up tomorrow morning and simply say, Holy Spirit, would you please show me every time that I expect to get my own way? And you will be walking in a discipline of submission if we actively pursue death to self-will. Not death to who we are, who we're made to be, but death to the terrible burden of always needing to get my own way. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.